She Makes Money Moves is a production of Glamour and iHeartRadio. I do remember thinking like, wow, this guy makes like a fraction of what I make and way less than probably other guys I've dated. And he's been more generous with me in a few months than many other men I've dated who made way more money than him. I'm Samantha Barry, the editor-in-chief of Glamour, and this is She Makes Money Moves. In 2019, more women than ever are out earning their husbands. Having more money coming in is great for a couple's bottom line, but flipping gender roles financially can strain a relationship. Studies have found that in marriages where the woman is the main breadwinner, it can be stressful for both the husband and the wife. When today's guest met the man who would become her husband, she made almost twice as much as he did. Today, the gap isn't that wide, but she still out-earns him. She says it doesn't cause tension in their relationship, but it does affect the way she spends. This is her story. My name is Diana Kelly. I am 37 years old, and I'm a freelance writer and a course instructor located in Long Island, New York. Diana started a career in publishing in 2006, working at print magazines and magazine websites. The landscape of media was changing quickly at the time. It seemed like another magazine was closing every month, and the ones that stayed in business were working with lower budgets and far smaller staffs. While I was bracing myself for a possible inevitable inevitable layoff, um, yeah, it eventually happened. And in February 2013, I was let go from my job, my full-time media job. And then I decided to see if I could be a full-time freelance writer and if I even wanted to do that full-time. It was an interesting landscape at the time, and uh, I was very fortunate that I had a couple of years of doing freelance writing on the side under my belt. She had some money in the bank, but she'd need more coming in to cover her New York City rent and monthly bills, which included credit card and student loan payments. I still had some student loans, maybe about 8000 or so left, and a little bit on a credit card. And I really wasn't concerned about them at that time. I was more concerned with paying my monthly rent in lower Manhattan, which was nearly $2,000 a month for a 300-square-foot apartment. It can be hard to make that money um, in just a month. So I was kind of concerned about making my monthly bills first. And um, at that point, I had probably about $10,000 in savings, maybe like 10 to 15. So I was fortunate that I always was a saver. I grew up in a family that always kind of told me to save for a rainy day. And um, it made me feel safe and secure to have a little bit of a cushion. But I definitely did watch that cushion start to dwindle down those first few months while I was building my freelance business. And I do remember having nights where I was up at night kind of worrying about where my paychecks were coming from, when they were coming in. I say I used to stock the mailbox every day for checks um, and just getting ready to cash them and just kind of hoping I could make this work for another few months. Before long, she realized she could definitely make a career out of freelancing. Between 2013 and 2016, when I first met my husband, uh, my career was going very well. I actually found that that first year of full-time freelancing in 2013, I earned more than I had at my full-time staff editor job as a senior online editor. And uh, that was a very satisfying feeling. 
Early on in their relationship, Diana's now husband, who works in civil service for the city of New York, shared how much he was earning. I think within a few months, he kind of jokingly mentioned his salary, and he just kind of said, well, it's on the internet. Anybody can look it up anyway. And I thought that was kind of strange because I thought I'm never, I was never going to look up your salary or what you do for a living and that type of thing. But he, you know, was probably making about 50000 as a base salary, and I think he had potential for overtime at that point. But, you know, at that point, I was probably making about like 90s to 100000 The number surprised her, but it didn't bother her. I wasn't really concerned about his salary, but I definitely kind of thought, how is somebody living in New York City in this area, you know, on a salary that low? And I also thought it's kind of a shame that that's the salary that the city starts the civil service employees at. Like, it's almost unlivable. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he seemed to be okay with the salary, and um, so I was as well. I just kind of was more focused on the relationship and just seeing how he treated me, which was always very well, and he always, like, paid for dinners many times and, um, you know, took me out and just bought lots of little things and was very sweet. And I do remember thinking, like, wow, this guy makes, like, a fraction of what I make and way less than probably other guys I've dated. And he's been more generous with me in a few months than many other men I've dated who made way more money than him. (laughs) She also understood that his salary growth and career trajectory were more stable and predictable than her own. We both have always acknowledged, like, his income was lower, but has the longer-term growth for potential and, like, even through structured pay scales. Like, he knows how much he's going to make next year, and if he stays, you know, on a certain path, he'll make X amount five years from now. And that's kind of refreshing and um, makes me feel secure just knowing we know what his salary is going to be. And with me, like, we don't know what my salary is going to be. An added bonus, he was also incredibly thoughtful. I think as we were becoming more serious and um, he was staying over at my apartment, I remember I was running out of, um, as you know, everything seems to run out at the same time, like hand soap, shampoo, body wash. And so I just gave him a heads up like, hey, I'm low on everything. So just so you know, when you jump in the shower, he went out to go actually just replenish that stuff for me, which was very sweet and thoughtful. And I think he bought a box of tissues, like some hand soap and body wash and it came to like 25 to 30 dollars and he was just floored by the price and he kind of was thinking wow like I can't believe you spend this much money all the time on all of these things now I see where your money goes like because you're in Manhattan everything is so expensive and at that time he was always shopping at a big box store Um, he decided from then on that he was just gonna like buy two of whatever or like drop something off at my apartment because he would spend maybe $8 on a three-pack of body washes versus me spending like 15 on one small one in Manhattan. (laughs) I think it's kind of even sweeter than somebody going out and getting me flowers or chocolate as somebody like going out and replenishing all of my toiletries uh, while I'm at work and coming back and I'm like, wow, that's so nice. Like one less thing I have to do. I mean, he's done other romantic gestures, but to me, I was like, it just made my life easier. More on She Makes Money Moves right after this quick break. I'm Samantha Barry. Welcome back to She Makes Money Moves. When they were dating, Diana's now husband lived in the house he'd grown up in. His parents had retired and moved out of state, and they let him stay in that house rent-free. Diana appreciated then that her future husband was more of a saver than a spender. 
My husband, my now husband, um, then boyfriend was frugal and I noticed it, but it kind of was familiar to me because my parents were very frugal and we really didn't have a lot of extra things and spending money on ourselves for fun really wasn't encouraged. I kind of had those values growing up and maybe got away from them a little bit once I was single in the city and just spending money and having fun in my 30s. Uh, It was kind of nice to see that reflected in a partner and that kind of thought like, oh, if we do get serious down the line or have a family, it's nice to know that these are his habits and tendencies versus being with somebody who's a spender who, who like would struggle perhaps with that. But Diana had some good money habits of her own. By the time we got engaged, I was like, hey, I have $10,000 in the savings account that I just saved for a wedding <laughs> even before I met you. So he was like probably thinking that's weird, but that's awesome because now we have more money towards that. So I kind of was like saving money towards a, you know, future goal and dream. And to me, it was kind of important to put money into these sort of funds labeled certain things so that I was kind of, I guess, sending it out to the universe that they would happen, hopefully, even when I was single. In June of 2017, Diana and her now husband got engaged. When they decided to move in together, his parents encouraged them to stay in the family home. While living there, they saved enough for a 20% down payment and then some. Today, they're married and own a home of their own, and they're expecting their first child in December. Diana still makes more than her husband, for now. He continues to be frugal, so she sometimes feels guilty about spending money, even though they're in a great place financially. He's not ever saying, you can't spend money or shouldn't do money doing any of that, but probably have it in my mind if I'm thinking, okay, like he's going to work and he's packing his lunch for work to go like save 10 or $15 so he doesn't spend that in the city. And then, you know, if I want to go get a manicure and it's like 15 or 20 bucks, I'm like, this seems kind of silly for me to spend this money on myself when he's trying to be more careful. She set aside money for when the baby arrives, about $7,000, but she's worried she'll feel guilty about spending anything on herself when there's a child in the picture. Perhaps what I might feel is my, like, disposable income might change. And perhaps, you know, if I want to do more fun things for myself, I wonder if I'll feel, like, the guilt between, oh, like, I shouldn't spend this because we've got a baby and I should be saving, or I'm not making as much as I did last year, so I shouldn't spend this money. Since Diana's a freelancer, any time she takes off to spend with the baby will be unpaid. So she might not be the main breadwinner next year. If that happens, she still wants to be able to spend money guilt-free. You know what I could probably use help with is thinking about like maybe how to create a space for both of us. Like anybody who has a kid coming feels that they need to be saving a lot of money and be better with money. Um, So still creating like a space for fun for each one of us and ourselves, you know, date night or, you know, probably having money set aside for a babysitter so that we feel like we can have, you know, a night out, um, as well as just kind of having our autonomous spending with guilt-free. Today's expert is a mom who has a handle on her finances. I'm Shannon McLay, founder and CEO of The Financial Gym. So, Shannon, first off, Diana's pregnant. Congrats. She has $7,000 earmarked for when the baby comes, which is smart. 
But is that enough? It's never enough. You mean big picture, long term? I mean, nothing's enough, right? <laughs> nothing's like, never enough for kids. It's just, and here's the thing I, I say is that when, when money and emotions meet, we make less smart moves. But when you have children, there is nothing more emotional than your child. And I speak from experience and you never feel ambivalent about your child. I look at my son and I either want to kill him or I want to like kill somebody who says anything about him. You know, I love him with such an intensity and that emotions, you will make some not smart moves with your kid. Like you're just, you're going to buy them the toy at Target because you're having a rough day or you're going to want to send them to camp even though you don't have the money, but you really want them to Mm -hmm. have a camp experience or you're going to send them to ballet even though you don't have the money for ballet, but you want the best for them. You want them to have, you're going to make some irrational saying irrational with air quotes, money decisions because of the emotion you're going to feel around your child. What's the biggest expense that should be top of mind? So childcare is the biggest. What childcare are you going to need to utilize and how much does that cost? On average in New York, it's somewhere around $2,000 a month. So are you able to save $2,000 a month? Does your budget allow for $2,000 a month for the child? And I know that um, Diana is also a freelancer. So you know, something she has to think about too, um, freelancers with children, is how much are you going to be able to work now that you have the child? Because the schedule you keep pre-baby is not going to be able to be the same post-baby. The good news is she's making a lot of money. Since the beginning of their relationship until now, Diana's made more than her husband. She's been the main breadwinner in the relationship. That's mm-hmm. not unusual anymore, is it? No, I've been there, done that, Diana. <laughs> Regardless of who's making more, it seems like Diana and her husband have the same values around money. I think they both sound like they are compatible as far as frugality, which is great. We have a lot of clients that are one person's a spender, one person's a saver. And then there's just inherently a lot of conflict as far as spending is concerned. But I think where they need to get aligned is like, how, how are they jointly spending and, and managing their money going forward, especially now that, that a baby is going to be in the picture? How do we get them there? What I tell clients is to to sit down and especially while you have some quiet time before baby comes and say, what are, how do we spend money? What are the things we value? What are the things that each of us needs to survive and thrive in our lives? Like, what are you working for? Like, why do we get out of bed every day and, and do a job? Like, what is it for? What are the things that sets our soul on fire? And for most of us, it's not like, um, you know, a car or whatever. It's It might be vacation. It might be a mani-pedi. It might be retail things therapy. I don't know what it is like, you know, mental health, physical health and wellness. What are those things that we value? And then how do we pay for them together? More on She Makes Money Moves right after this quick break. I'm Samantha Barry. Welcome back to She Makes Money Moves. So it's great that Diana and her husband are saving, but they need to figure out what buckets they're putting their money in. Diana makes more money than her husband, Mm -hmm. not substantially, but more, right? Mm -hmm. Does she get more fun money for herself because of that? What we want our couples to do is create the money plan that works for them. So so we do have some couples who, you know, she makes 70% more. So she contributes 70% more. Like they each contribute percentage wise Mm -hmm. to the fund because that's, you know, the quote fair thing to do. We have some couples where everything goes into the fund and then they have money that comes out of the fund, you know, the joint fund that's their like their spend money, their free money, their um, whatever. And then we have couples who set spend limits that, um, and I think every couple should have like, what is 
the amount of money that is safe that I don't have to tell you about. So it's whether it happens in your joint account or happens out of your joint account. And if it's like $150, let's just say that's your anything below $150, you don't have to tell the other person. That's your free thing. But anything above that, you should probably have a conversation, say, hey, I'm going to do this. And then, you know, does the person have a say in that or not? Or, you know, what's the the free amount. I think, again, the more transparency, the The more communication, right? Yeah. So they'll establish an amount that they're each free to spend. But for Diana, her mind always goes to save, 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 especially with a baby on the way. How can she spend that money or do something fun with her husband after the baby is here? She has to do that, that um, you, you need those times. We are big fans of multiple savings accounts for multiple goals. So we have some clients who have 15 savings accounts. They're they're free. If your bank tries to charge you, call and have it refunded. You could set them up online. But set up different and plan for plan for the fun, I'm saying. So if you want a date night fund, put, um, you know, automatically transfer $100 a month for that. Um, and that's your date. And that's, that's your, your date, date fund. Account. So, you know, when you're, you know, if at the end of the month, if you're both like, we need a date, how much is in the fund? Oh, we have $400. We could have a nice date or, or we have $40. It's like, okay, we're going to have a picnic, picnic <laughs> yeah. pizza and some Netflix or whatever. It, it'll de- determine it. But put money in these things like or put money in the Manny Petty fund. Put money if you like to splurge on shopping. We have clients with shopping funds because they know retail therapy is a real thing for them. And then what happens is they don't plan for it. They put on their credit card and they have credit card debt then they feel bad about it. Um, so, plan for that. Put $200 a month for that. And then when you feel that need to spend, then, you know, you look what's in the account. Okay. I've got travel. Same thing with travel. Um, Plan for it in advance. I think that's the biggest thing we tell our clients rather than just put on a credit card. The credit card's not the plan. It's not the financial plan. It's having the money in advance because then that'll help you make the decisions later. So Diana and her husband will have the conversation. They'll create some new savings accounts. They'll have that date night bucket. And they'll both have money that they can spend guilt-free in their fun money buckets. Go on, spend it, Diana. What about for a couple that's earlier in their relationship? I would never get married without seeing what's in the bank accounts, any debts out there, credit score, and um, and income. I think those are the big they're, number they're you digits want. you should know. Or um, if you're going to get a car together or a home together, you know, what is their credit score? Because that's going to impact you. And you go in knowing that a bad credit score can be fixed. Everything we do financially is fixable. Everything is fixable, like a bankruptcy, credit card debt, everything is fixable. So it's not permanent, just like you said, Sam. And um, it, I always say they don't define us. Like, just like our weight doesn't define who we are, our financial digits don't define us. But you have to be willing to go there. I think what's really important is if you're coming to the financially naked uh, discovery meet, you know, discovery session, um, feeling insecure, I, like, okay, you have debt. How are we going to, how are you going to handle that? One of my all-time favorite clients of ours, she w- was, she started with us, had $35,000 of debt, consumer debt, so credit cards and things like that. And um, her trainer advised her and she's filing for bankruptcy. And she had to tell her boyfriend that she was living with about the bankruptcy. And she was scared out of her mind. She's like, he's going to hate me, break up with me, kick me out of the house, all these things. And I had said to her, or I said in my podcast, if you're with somebody like that and they're going to treat you like that, why do you want to commit to this person long-term anyway? I mean, what you're you're sharing your body and everything intimate with you. Why couldn't you be with somebody you could trust with this mm-hmm. and to make you feel better and take away your shame for you? So she told him she hyperventilated. He thought she was going to die. She she actually told him on a ferry. She's like, he can't throw me off the boat. Like, and <laughs> oh I was like, that, that's how extreme she thought it was. 
she finally gets the words out and he's relieved because he's like, I thought you were dying. I didn't know what you were going to say. And he's like, it's not a big deal. He's like, I have good credit. We can use my credit to buy the house. And how can I help you, you know, tackle this debt, this problem? You know, like, I don't want you feeling Mm -hmm. like this. And it was That's so the partner you want, right? right? There's your answer. And if, if he kicked her off the boat, then, you know, find a new guy. It doesn't matter if you're the one who earns more or less. What matters is that you and your partner are able to have an open, honest conversation about money. Share your credit scores, how much you earn, how much you owe, how much you have in the bank, Share your money goals. If you're at the point where you're getting physically naked, it's time to start getting financially naked. The more you have the conversations, the easier they're going to get. Start talking. To learn more about what we've talked about in this episode, visit Glamour.com slash money. And if you'd like to share your story, we'd love to hear it and help you make money moves. Email us at money at Glamour.com. She Makes Money Moves is a production of Glamour and iHeartRadio with new episodes dropping every Tuesday. I'm your host and Glamour's editor-in-chief, Samantha Barry. The podcast is co-written and co-produced by Kim Fusaro and Deanna Buckman with support from Lauren Brown West Rosenthal. Editorial oversight is provided by Maddie Kahn. Christina Everett is our executive producer. Mary Dew is our audio engineer. Julie Shen heads up business and development of this podcast and Pat Singer heads up our research team. Special thanks to Shannon McClay and our guest, Diana, for sharing her story. <laughs>